Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. My dad was delivering the message at my ordination service as I was called to be a pastor. In, in typical preacher fashion, he told me there were three things that could destroy my ministry. He said the first one was my message. People didn't need to hear my opinion. They needed to hear God's word. They needed to hear what God had to say on an issue. The next one was money. How I looked at money, how I managed money. If I did not manage money wisely, it could destroy my ministry. And then the final thing that he said was my morality. How I kept myself pure, particularly when it came to sex and women and my marriage. Now, two of those things, money and morals, destroy more marriages than all other things combined. We're going to talk about money next week because that's an important subject that Solomon deals with in the book of Proverbs. But this morning on Father's Day, I want us to talk about morals. I want us to talk about sex. I want us to talk about how we can stay sexually pure in an impure world. Now, I don't think that anyone in this room would disagree with this statement. We live in a sex-obsessed culture. Everywhere we turn, we're bombarded with sex. We drive down the road and we see it on billboards. We go to the mall and we see it plastered on storefronts. We turn on the radio and we hear it in the songs of our day. We turn on the TV and, and almost every single show today has some type of sexual connotation, sexual innuendo in that. We go to the movies today and it's almost in every movie. Sherry and I went to see Jurassic World Thursday evening. I flew back in Thursday morning, had some appointments. We went to the movie Thursday night. I wanted to see that movie, and, and, and they had a ton of previews. And one of the previews was for the new Minion movie, a movie that is directed toward children. And even in this movie that is directed toward children, the previews were filled with sexual innuendos and connotations. And you as parents need to understand that. Artists and advertisers are, are using sex to sell. Writers and producers are giving us sex. And you know why? Do you know why sex is all over the place? The reason it's all over the place is because we want it. We long for it. The truth is, we crave it. We're drawn to it. If money and power were the gods of the last half of the 20th century, then I am convinced that sex is the American God of the first part of the 21st century. Now, this morning as we gather together and we talk about sex, we could talk about homosexuality and same-sex attraction and gay marriage. We could talk about transgender and cross-dressing and sex change and the Bruce Jenner thing. But the truth is, most of us would rather us talk about those things because those aren't the issues that most of us struggle with. 
You see, our issues are heterosexual in nature. We struggle with heterosexual lust that causes us to to view pornography, that causes us to, to experiment with sex before marriage, that causes us to step outside the bounds of good, godly sex and cheat on our spouses. Let's talk about porn for just a moment. The statistics are staggering. 90%, I want you to hear me, 90% of children 8 to 16 have viewed porn. 90%. 70% of men between the ages of 18 and 30 will view porn in a typical month. 12% of all internet sites are pornographic in nature. 12 percent. 50% of men, 20% of women in the church are addicted to porn. And some of us wonder why our marriages are falling apart. Now, some of you here this morning may be saying, well, what's the problem? Oh, what's the big deal if I am an adult and, and I am a consenting adult? What's the problem? The short answer is, it's sin. It's lust. And Jesus said it would be better for you to gouge out your eyes than to lust after a woman. It's virtual adultery and fornication. And the Bible says that those who commit sexual sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. It creates unrealistic expectations that our partner can never meet. And it creates a law of diminishing return. In other words, we have to have more and more to remain fulfilled. Pornography. It's an epidemic proportions. What about cohabitation? According to recent statistics, 50% of couples today are either living together or have lived together. It seems that our views of marriage have radically changed. And the church is no exception. We justify our living arrangements. We make excuses for our living arrangements. But listen, when we're living together outside of marriage, we are sinning against a holy God. And what about sex before marriage? It seems like that is just accepted today. Uh, There was a study called the 2014 State of Dating in America. It was published by Christian Mingle and J-Date. And I want you to listen to this. 61% of Christians said that they would have sex before marriage. In other words, what's the big deal? 56% of Christians said it is appropriate... To live together with someone after you've been dating for for six months to two years. So people in the church see nothing wrong with sex before marriage. They see nothing wrong with living together outside of marriage. And what about adultery? Now the truth is it's hard to get statistics on adultery. Because who wants to admit I cheated on my spouse? And so the fact of the matter is, whatever statistics are out there, they're on the low side. 
Because even in anonymous polls, people don't want to admit such an horrific thing. And you need to understand, and I need to understand, that, that all of those things, according to God's word, are sin. Here's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. He said, God's will is for you to be holy, for you to stay away from sexual sin. God's will is for you to be holy. God's will is you to stay away from sexual sin. Now, Solomon devoted almost three chapters to this book, Proverbs, on sexual sin and temptation. Now, the tragedy is Solomon didn't even listen to his own counsel, the counsel that he gave to his sons. He had multiple wives. He had multiple concubines that led him into idolatry. And I am convinced led to the destruction of the nation of Israel. Now, there are two passages that, that I want you to focus on this morning. I want you to post today on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. Because these two verses give us uh, an idea of the principles that we're going to look at this morning. The first verse is Proverbs 5, verses 18 and 19. Solomon told his son this, Rejoice in the wife of your youth. May you always be captivated by her love. Rejoice in your wife. Be captivated by her love. The next verse is Proverbs 6, verse 32. In that verse it says, But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. Let me say that again. The man who commits adultery is an utter fool. He destroys himself. Now, let me give you five principles that Solomon gives us that can keep us from committing adultery and all kinds of sexual sin. And I believe that if we apply these principles to our lives, it will help us stay sexually pure in a world that is becoming increasingly impure. Now, here's the first thing. You've got to commit to obey the word. You see, you're never going to stay sexually pure in a world that is impure until you make the commitment to obey the word. Listen to what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 6. He said, my son, obey your father's commands. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. When you wake up, they will advise you. For their command is a lamp. Their instruction is a light. Their corrective discipline is the way of life. Then listen to what he says. It will keep you from the immoral woman. Now understand that the words that Solomon was giving to his son was inspired by holy God and became part of Holy Scripture. And so what we are reading is not just a word of advice from a father to a son. It is a word from our Father God to us. And here's what he says. 
He says, obey, don't neglect, keep, tie. All those words declare action. Obey my commands. Don't neglect them. Keep them in your heart. Tie them around your neck. In other words, you need to know God's commands. You need to make his commands a part of your daily routine. You need to obey them. And he says this, when you do, they will lead you, they will protect you, and they will advise you. Now, in chapter 7, Solomon said this. He said, follow my advice, my son. Always treasure my commands. Obey my commands and live. Tie them on your fingers as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Let them protect you from what? From an affair with an immoral woman. Solomon believed that if we knew God's word and we obeyed it, it would keep us from sexual sin. Now here's the deal. Here's what you need to understand today. Every one of us in this room have an ultimate source of authority in our life. Something or someone who is the final source of authority. How we determine right from wrong. How we decide good from bad. Now for some of us, it's the culture in which we live. If the culture accepts it, and embraces it, if it's right in the culture, then it must be right, and it's right for us. And so if the culture says it's okay, then it must be okay. For others of us, we hold on to our traditions. That's our final source of authority. We were brought up a certain way. We were taught certain things as children. Therefore, it must be right. If my parents said it's true, it's got to be true. Uh, For others of us, it's our peers. What do my friends think? And then for some of us, we say, this is what we say, no one determines for me what is right and wrong. I decide that for myself. I am the ultimate determiner of right and wrong, good and bad in my life. And so if I believe it's okay, it's okay. It doesn't matter what the church says. It doesn't matter what the Bible says. It doesn't matter what what wisdom says. If I believe it's right, it must be right. But, But I want to suggest something to you this morning. And that is this. The culture, the government, or any other entity has no right to determine right and wrong. You see, the one who has the right... To determine right and wrong for us is the one who created us. The one who made heaven and earth and everything in it for his purpose. His plan. And he is the one who is able to determine right from wrong, good from bad. And he has given us a word, his word, the Bible that should guide and direct what we believe, how we live, our views of right and wrong, good and bad. Now, now there's some of you here today that you say, I believe the Bible, but you don't really believe the Bible. Because there are things that we spoke of earlier, whether it be pornography, cohabitation, sex before marriage, adultery. There are things that you've said, but you don't know my circumstance. I don't need to know your circumstance. Because God's word was written in pen It wasn't written in pencil. And God didn't give each of us erasers 
so that we could erase the parts we didn't like. God's word is the ultimate source of authority. And if you're going to ever have victory over sexual sin or any other sin in your life, you must come to that point where you believe God's word is true and you're going to stand on it. So obey God's word. The second thing you need to do is you need to be on guard. Because temptation will come. The only question is when. That is why Solomon spent so much time preparing his son. Solomon didn't bury his head in the sand hoping that the temptations wouldn't come. He, he, he wanted his son to be ready because he knew these temptations are going to come. And if you're not ready, if you're not prepared, when they come, you're going to find yourself falling into sin. Now, why is, why is sexual temptation such a great temptation? And I just want to be honest with you. The reason is it's pleasurable. It's enjoyable. You see, Solomon didn't say sin or sex is awful. Solomon didn't say that. He didn't say sex is awful and sexual sin is even worse. He did not say that at all. As a matter of fact, listen, Solomon wrote an entire book, a love song, devoted to loving marital sex. It's a crazy book. You're going to blush. If you read it, it's better than any book out there today about sex. But when he was speaking of sexual sin, Solomon said this. Listen, Proverbs 9, verses 17 and 18. Stolen water is sweet. What's he talking about? He's talking about sexual sin. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of the grave. You see, the Bible says there is pleasure in sin, but it's for a season. God created us sexual beings. He created us with a desire for sex, and that desire is normal. But God has given us a way to express our sexual desires in a way that pleases Him and honors Him. But when we step outside of His boundaries, it will always destroy us. So what do we need to do? Well, first of all, we need to guard our heart. Solomon said this in chapter 4. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of life. Listen, Solomon was saying the primary organ that causes you to fall into sexual sin is not below your waist. It is in your chest. It is your heart that creates the sin in our life. It is our heart that leads us astray. And that's why we must guard our heart above all else. In chapter 7, Solomon said, Don't let your heart stray away toward her. Don't wander down her wayward path. The first thing we've got to do is guard our heart. If, If I commit sexual sin, I can guarantee you one thing. My heart is not right with God. I can make all kinds of excuses. I can try to put the blame on someone else. But the truth is my heart is right, right with God. Everything I do, everything I say originates in my heart. The inmost part of me, Jesus made it clear in Matthew 15. He says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, 
They have false testimony slander. And when a person accepts Jesus, Jesus steps in and, and he softens, he recreates, he purifies the heart. Now, does that mean that a, a Christian can never commit sexual sin? Absolutely not. But hear me. If a Christian falls into sexual sin, it's because their heart is not right. And so don't stand here right now with your pompous attitude and tell me you love Jesus and you're viewing pornography. Don't tell me you love Jesus and you're living with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Don't tell me you love Jesus as a teenager and you're having premarital sex. Don't tell me you love Jesus, your spouse isn't fulfilling your needs and you found someone else who has. Don't tell me that because you don't love Jesus. You love your sin more than Jesus. And Jesus has become a secondary source of your life. You've got to guard your heart. And then he says, guard your eyes. Proverbs 7, guard your own eyes. Proverbs 6, don't lust for her beauty. Don't let her coy glances seduce you. Men, I think you know this. But we're visually stimulated. You know that, don't you? Somebody's told you that. You've discovered that. Ladies, hear me. Men are visually stimulated. If you don't know that, then wake up. We are. That's why Solomon said in Proverbs 7, verses 8 through 10, listen to this. It's talking about this foolish young man. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight. As the day was fading, as the dark of night set in, then out came a woman to meet him. Listen to what it says. Dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent. Ladies, listen to me. Scripturally, modesty is not just the best policy. Modesty is the biblical admonition. And you need to understand, ladies, that because men are visually stimulated... There are times that the way you dress produces thoughts and desires in men that I pray to God you're not trying to produce. Because hear me, ladies, look at me. If you were trying to attract a man by getting him to look at your booty or your breast, then one day he's going to look at someone else's. Do you hear me, women? Can I hear a witness from you? Amen? Don't try to attract men that way. Guard your heart. Guard your eyes. And then guard your ears. Proverbs 7, verse 21. So she did seduced him with her pretty speech and enticed him with her flattery. Wow. Words. Wow, you look good today. You've been working out. We all, we all love compliments, don't we? Hear me. It's one thing to compliment. It's another thing to flirt. And there is a difference. And men, women, you know the difference when you're doing it. You may say, oh, it was just a compliment. Bull. You're not that dumb. 
your intent is clear by the words and the way that you say it. You see, most adulterous affairs don't begin because two people are walking down the road and the man goes, whoa, she's hot. And she goes, wow, he's a stud. And they rip off their clothes and you know what's next. That's not how it happens. Typically, there's a little bit of conversation before that. And most of the time, there's a good bit of conversation before that. Our words are so important. That's why, listen, men, women, it is so important for us to learn how to communicate with our spouses. Because regardless of who we are, we need communication. And if we are not meeting that need in our spouse's life, then there's going to be a temptation. Howbeit, it's going to be wrong, but there's going to be a temptation for our spouse to find that need met in someone else's life. And when they do, dangerous things can happen. You say, well, Rocky, what's the problem with talking to someone else? Well, if you're going to talk to someone else other than your spouse, I'm not saying it's a problem, but if you're talking to someone else who is of an opposite sex, and opposite sex means if a man is going to a woman saying, hey, my wife just, she's not listening to me. Men, look at me. If you've done that, look at me. You, you, know, what, you know what God calls you? God calls you a fool. Not me. Don't get mad at me. Don't send me anonymous emails and letters. God is saying that you are a fool if you do that. Women, if you sit back and go to a man, hey, hey. I will meet with a lady one time in my office with my window open in a counseling session. That's it. You say, well, you're not very pastoral. No, I'm wise. I'm not going to do it. You say, why not? I I will say there's good godly women that you can counsel with. And that's what you need to do. So guard your ears. Guard your ears, guard your Eyes, guard your heart. You need to be on guard. You need to obey God's word. Here's the third thing. Flee temptation. Proverbs 5, verse 8. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22. Paul said, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Run from anything that is stimulating youthful lust. Lust. If you don't want to get burned, stay away from the fire. Now, let me give you two biblical examples. David, man after God's own heart. No one in this room can say David did not love the Lord. But in a moment of weakness, when he should have been out fighting battles and wasn't, he saw a beautiful woman taking a bath. He lusted after her. He called her to his palace. He committed adultery with her, the wife of one of his best friends. She got pregnant. He tried to cover it up, but his best friend was a better man than him and wasn't going to sleep with his wife when everyone else was out fighting a battle. And so eventually David had one of his best friends killed to cover up his sin. David. A man after God's own heart. Got too close to the fire and he got burned. Now, by the way, hear me. I want you to look. Did God forgive him? Yes. Were there consequences of that sin? Oh, yes. 
And you would say, well, the consequence was the baby died. That's one consequence. If you read in God's Word, David's life, before that incident, and then you read of David's life after that incident, things changed. Things changed. We don't like to hear that. We wish it weren't true, but it's true. That sexual sin brought destruction and pain to David's family from that point on. The other example is Joseph. Joseph was unjustly sold into slavery by his brothers. He was sold to Potiphar, a a, a guard in Pharaoh's court. And Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph, flirted with him, flirted with him, flirted with him. Joseph stayed away. Eventually, when no one was there, Potiphar's wife made an advance at him, ripped off his robe. He was living in a foreign country among foreign people. No one would know what he did. Did he take advantage of the opportunity? No. He ran. He was unjustly accused of trying to rape her. He was put into prison, but he remained pure. Listen, if you don't want to get burned, you don't put yourself in situations where the fire's too hot. Flee temptation. Here's the fourth thing. And this is the, this is the principle that's fun. Enjoy your spouse. And let me read to you Proverbs 5, verses 15 through 19. Listen to what it says. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your spring in the streets having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourselves. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. Now, some of you are saying, oh, my goodness. He said breast twice now in church. No, I didn't. God did. I mean, I'm just, I'm just reading Scripture. And, and if that offends you, then we ought to turn over to Song of Solomon and start reading. But the truth of the matter is, I would be as red as a beat up here reading it. I, I mean, it, it's, it's, that, it, it's, it, it's that clear of beautiful love language. That's not dirty and filthy. It's beautiful because it's a man and his wife in love. And, and Solomon is expressing that love. Now, let me give you a little secret. I want to fill you in. I want to give you a clue. Sex was God's idea. He, he made it as a beautiful gift. I mean, God, God could have made us. Look at me. God could have made us in such a way... Where this is how we reproduce. I can't believe you did that. You just got me pregnant. And there's no joy. There's no fun. There's no fulfillment in it. God could have done that. But he didn't. And you as parents. It's your job to teach this to your kids. And I'm not doing that. But. But understand, God made our bodies in such a way that that the sexual relationship brings joy 
and fulfillment and pleasure to both the man and the woman. And God did that because, because that sexual relationship is a picture of the intimacy that we can have as we become one in Christ in all ways. And God said, that's what I want you to be. I want you to be one in Christ. It's a beautiful thing when it's within God's boundaries. But I've got to end with this. Because when it's outside of God's boundaries, there's consequences. And we need to understand the consequences. Proverbs 5, verses 3 through 14. I need to read this entire passage. It's long, I know, but you need to hear it because God says it better than I could commentate on it. For the lips of an immoral woman are as sweet as honey. Her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is as bitter as poison. As dangerous as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. For she cares nothing about the path to life. She staggers down a crooked trail and doesn't realize it. So now, my sons, listen to me. Never stray from what I'm about to say. Stay away from her. Don't go near the door of her house. If you do, you will lose your honor. And will lose to merciless people all you have achieved. Strangers will consume your wealth. Someone else will enjoy the fruit of your labor. In the end, you will groan in anguish when disease consumes your body. You will say how I hated discipline. If only I had not ignored all the warnings. Oh, why didn't I listen to my teachers? Why didn't I pay attention to my instructors? I have come to the brink of utter ruin. And now I face public disgrace. Notice the words. Bitter, dangerous. Leads to death in the grave. Cause you to lose honor, your wealth. It produces emotional and physical sickness. All of those things are the result of sexual sin. That's what God says. Proverbs 6. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap and not have his clothes catch on fire? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. Excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he is starving. But if he is caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole, even if he has to sell everything in his house. But the man who commits adultery is an utter fool, for he destroys himself. He will be wounded and disgraced. His shame will never be erased. For the woman's jealous husband will be furious. He will show no mercy when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation nor be satisfied with a payoff of any size. The one who commits sexual sin, the Bible says, will not go unpunished. They are destroying themselves. They will be wounded, disgraced. They will live with shame. But thus says the Lord. Proverbs 2, verses 18 and 19. Entering her house leads to death. It is the road to the grave. The man who visits her is doomed. He will never reach the paths of life. Doomed. I can't stress enough the dangers and the consequences of sexual sin. Now, some of you will say, well, all sin is the same. No, it's not. 
quit saying that. All sin results in separation from God. All sin deserves death and hell. But all sin is not the same. And for you to say that is to simply misunderstand or refuse to listen to God's word. All sin is not the same. Paul said it this way. He said, when you sin sexually, you're sinning against your own body. I don't understand all the ramifications of that, but understand Sexual sin in Scripture was always tied to idolatry. It wasn't just adultery. Sex was an act of worship. And it was tied to idolatry. And when we sin sexually, we are opening ourselves up to Satan's influence, Satan's control, and the demons of hell, perhaps more than in any other way. There are enormous consequences. And then there's the ultimate consequence. Uh, This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6. He said, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheap people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Sexual sin, the word here is porneia, it refers to any Sex outside of marriage, before marriage. Adultery is sex outside of marriage when a person has already been married. He deals here in this passage with all sexual sin. Now let me get real. And let me get real transparent. Perhaps more than you've ever heard someone from a pulpit get. When I was 13, I was exposed to pornography for the very first time. I was on a camping trip with some other guys, and one of these people who were not from a Christian family pulled out the stuff. And at 13 years of age, I was exposed to that. To say that that night scarred me is an understatement. That night created shame and guilt and pain and struggles that haunted me for several years after that fact. My first year of college, I was a virgin. I kept myself sexually pure in that regard. And I met a Proverbs 7 woman. And when I say a Proverbs 7 woman, she came on to me. I'm not blaming her. I'm not, I'm not saying I wasn't responsible. I was. I'm just stating what happened. She came to me. 
She seduced me. And I loved it. And I fell into sexual sin. The shame, the guilt, the pain that that caused in my life as an 18-year-old young man, I, I can't tell you, except to say that those two events haunted me for years. Even after I was called to preach, I always struggled with, can God use me? Can I be forgiven? I mean, I had such a great Christian family, and, and yet I fell to these things. Is there any hope? And I got to tell you, it handcuffed me with guilt and shame. And so is there hope? And the good news is there is hope. That's what the gospel gives us regardless of who we are, what we've done, how far or how de devoid of purity we have become. God will forgive us. He loves us. He wants to redeem us. And he wants to set us free. I read to you 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. I want to read to you Verse 11, 9 and 10, remember, Paul said, I want you to know, those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he begins to list these sins, which I was guilty of one. And to be honest with you, I was guilty of more than one. But I was guilty. But then verse 11 says, some of you were just like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Listen, Jesus didn't come to save us from hell. Jesus came to set us free from sin. The guilt of sin that enslaves us because of our sinful nature the penalty of sin that is the result of our sinful nature and our sinful choices, and ultimately through the power of His Holy Spirit controlling us, the power of sin as we, as we surrender and submit ourselves to His control. All sin. He will save us and forgive us and set us free. Heterosexual sin... Homosexual sin. Now, all sin. But here's the thing. Before we can be set free from sin, we have to acknowledge what? We've got to acknowledge it's sin. God is a holy God. And he starts right where we are. Remember the woman called in adultery in John chapter 8? One of my favorite stories. Brought this woman out. She may have had a robe around her. She may have been virtually naked at that point in time. They, they took her from the adultery bed, threw her out into the street, and said to Jesus, the law says stoner, what do you say? Jesus knelt down, and tradition tells us that he started writing things in the sand. We have no clue what 
he said, what he wrote. But we do know that when he got up, he looked at him and he said, okay, stoner, but you who are without sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says that all of them, from the oldest to the youngest, dropped their stones and left because none of them were without sin. And then Jesus looked at the woman caught in the act of adultery. And he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, they've left, Lord. They're not here anymore. Jesus looked at her and listened. He showed her grace. The only one who was there that had the right to condemn her said, I don't condemn you. You say, one day we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But at this point in this life, on planet earth, Jesus looked at her and said, I don't condemn you. I'm bestowing grace on you. But then he said, go. And leave your life of sin. Don't sin anymore. It's not that I'm giving you grace to go out and live any way you please. I am giving you grace so that you can be set free from the things that chain you. And he can do that for you. Regardless of what your sin of pleasure may be. It could be sexual sin, heterosexual or homosexual. It could be pornography. You could be sleeping with a boyfriend or girlfriend. You could be committing adultery right now. It could be all kinds of sins. But I'm here to tell you, the God who came to earth looks at you right now and says, I will forgive you. I paid for your sin on the cross. Let me set you free today. That's what he'll do. But you've got to let him. I want you to bow your head with me. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I don't want anyone else looking around right now. And we're not going to talk about sexual sin right now. We're just going to talk about sin. Because I believe with all my heart, there's some of you here who are in bondage to, to sin. You're like that woman caught in adultery. You deserve to be condemned. And you may even feel condemned. But you've never felt the love and grace and forgiveness of God. You've never experienced that. And today, He is calling your name. And He is saying, I want to forgive you. I want to save you. I want to set you free. Turn loose of your sin. And let me do a work in your life. If that's you, and you've never discovered the grace of God that leads to the freedom of God, then I want you to raise your hand right now, and, and I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer in just a minute. If you need to pray for God's grace, you've never experienced that in your life, but you need to pray for God's grace. You want God to forgive you today. Would you just raise your hand? Is there anyone here? Anyone? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Everybody put your hands down. I want to lead us in a prayer. Lord God, we're all sinners. We all deserve death and hell. And apart from the cross, we have no hope. 
all love us. Father, forgive me for my sin. Set me free. I believe you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, to give me victory over sin. I'm giving my life to you right now. Save me. Set me free, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.